All right, let's get started, folks. How's everybody doing out there? Welcome to the Late Late Capitalism Show. This is the show where we talk about capitalism and its later stages, uh, and we do swears and cusses yeah. uh, and get get mad. Oh, I'm worked up. An additional content warning so as well. Don't let your baby listen. That's right. Uh, unless you want them to grow up to be just like me. <laughs> so, an additional content warning. We're going to be talking about uh, aspects of colonialism, uh, starvation. Although it is the Late Late Capitalism Show, we're actually going to go back in time today, like the uh, pit. Bull song. That's right. That's the <laughs> reference I'm going with. Nice. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Canada's Canada's first prime minister and one of the most controversial figures. Stephen Harper. That's right. Uh, John A. Macdonald. Every prime minister has been Stephen Harper in a different morph suit. Oh, that's crazy. Good. Wow. That I was like his that. final form. Was That was what he actually looked like, though, when he was Stephen Harper. The voice you just heard was our hostess with the mostest, <laughs> Megan. That's I am true. Chance. We have Jesse on the other mic, as well as Dean that's in the room right now. All, all, all all four of our friends are here to uh, be sad, mostly. Yeah, if you want to tell, tell the difference between Dean and I, Dean's the louder one, and uh, I'm the guy who laughs at his own jokes, like, consistently. Yep. So, we are going to be talking about John A. McDonald today. Before we begin, what do you guys know about Sir John A. McDonald, our first Prime Minister? Um, I know that when I was in grade 8 history, my history teacher was obsessed with him and had a tiny Johnny McDonald little figurine Ooh. and before every quiz he made us come up and pat it on the head for good luck. Wow. That's a lot. We don't have time to unpack <laughs> all of that. <laughs> Damn. Uh, right? My history teacher was a weird Wild. man. Uh, I know that uh, Sir John A. is everywhere in this town. Yeah. So you cannot escape his grasp. We record in a studio that's based in Kingston, Ontario. Kingston was the first capital of Canada and it's intrinsically linked with John A. McDonald as you're going to find out in just a few moments. Yeah, we have like five McDonald streets, don't we? Yeah, we have like the McDonald's Four street. restaurants. Yeah, we like pubs named after him. Yeah, McDonald's. Uh, oh, they changed yeah, their McDonald's. name. They're valid again. Oh. <laughs> See, like, I don't agree with, like, his, uh, you know, uh, genocidal tendencies, but, like, the man knows how to make a burger. That's right. Baby. Yeah, Come yeah. On. Same with the, what is it, uh, Old Tomorrow. They're, they're a really great company that yeah. kind of brought back the old Sir John A as a marketing scheme. Yeah, that's yeah. a shame. Uh, well, I there goes that. our sponsor. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, our sponsor this <laughs> our week. Our sponsor, McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, going to an elementary school on the reserve, like, we didn't really... Like, we looked into it with social studies or whatever, but but nothing crazy. It wasn't until I was in high school, but even then, like, nobody had Sir John A. on their desk. And I also didn't realize that Kingston was so obsessed with it. Like, I, I was far enough away from Kingston, I guess, that I didn't realize that there was, like, streets named after it and shit. I thought it was just like, oh, yeah, first prime minister, he's kind of a fuck, eh? And then you kind of just <laughs> went on your way. And then I move here, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what is this weird cult of personality that has kind of grown up around this gentleman? And, like, why? Why is it so strong here where we live? Like, it seems and there's, like, conflict all the time. Now, part of that is definitely, like, a cynical ploy by the tourism industry, of which I yeah. am employed. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. To confer more importance onto a city that, up until fairly recently, was only really known for having a lot of prisons, and now we've pivoted fully into, like, ah, tourism city, Canada's yeah, history come to life. Canada. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely a huge part of why everything's fucking named after him. It's and integral. Like, and uh, other than like the money involved and stuff right but um, yeah it was just like it was a huge culture shock coming here and uh, getting into conversations about like if Sir John A was problematic or not <laughs> like oh. like it, where I grew up that wasn't a conversation right no 
Oh, I would imagine not. like that was that was just that was common knowledge. So it, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a shock and awe. And then when I wear my Sir John A shirt that has his eyes crossed out and just says Hell rapist yeah. on top. Hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I wear that at, at work, actually, um, I tend to get some looks from some of the older crowd. But, <laughs> but I do I do like that shirt a lot. It's a good shirt. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give you the a quick little background on his early days, uh, and then we're going to really start getting into the nitty-gritty. Sounds so good. Uh, I'm sorry in advance. June 10th, or perhaps June 11th, 1815. They're actually not sure exactly when Sir John A. Macdonald was born, but he was born in Glasgow, Scotland, and was actually the son to a local businessman. At the age of five, the Macdonalds, so this would have been 1820, okay. emigrated to Kingston, Ontario specifically. His father quickly found work and opened up a shop. Uh, he was, like I said, a local entrepreneur. He owned a couple businesses within the area. Sir John A. Macdonald was sent to a local private school, which is already a bad start. But before we get into that, Macdonald's dad, I heard he was like a fail dude. Like, I was doing like a little bit of reading and from what I read, like, he left Scotland because he was in a lot of debt in his business. Oh, failed. almost certain. Yeah, <laughs> so he came to Kingston and he started up his own little business and that also failed because he was sort of a moron. I was going to say, I don't think that was a thing specific to Macdonald either. I'm pretty sure a lot of early immigrants were uh, trying to escape like financial ruin in yeah. their original he, countries. He did well enough though. Like they owned quite a few pieces of property as well though. So he may have failed in Scotland, but well, in like competition Trump. free. Big, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Big winner in Canada. Uh-huh. What I'm saying is we are a country of fail son. Absolutely. And as you're going to learn, although John A. Macdonald had fail son tendencies, he was also a lot more ruthless than really any of his political contemporaries, and that made a big difference. So, John A. Folks. Absolutely. <laughs> he was sent to a private school. He learned the tradition, you know, Latin, all the uh, things that yeah. they do in Tory schools Secret now. pedophile handshakes. Uh, probably. He really started to make his name, though, in the 1830s as a lawyer. And now an important thing to remember about the 1830s, there's Upper Canada and Lower Canada. Upper Canada is basically Ontario. Lower Canada is Quebec. Upper Which Canada... doesn't make any sense because Quebec I is know. above... <laughs> Geographically, Ontario. it's so, an altitude thing. I it's believe. so strange. Like they're like they're higher up physically. And like Ontario is than Quebec. It's because they're smoking yeah. that Kush. <laughs> Either way, they're just high as shit. So, <laughs> oh hell yeah, dude! Upper Canada was ruled by something known as the Family Compact, which was a deeply oligarchical, uh, close knit political group. Basically, the most powerful and wealthy people within Upper Canada controlled all aspects of political well, life. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> so the disputes were mainly between the upper class, who obviously supported the family compact, and then the lower class working class, who, you know, felt that they were being completely taken advantage of and exploited. So in 1837, tensions really began to heat up between the upper class and the lower class. There were also divides along religious lines, as a lot of the immigrants tend to be Catholic in nature, whereas a lot of the old school family compact people were British immigrants, so they were Anglican. Mm. The dissent between the two became so heated that the upper Canadians actually organized into rebellious militias led by William Lyon Mackenzie. Now, not the no, no, no. Not the Prime Minister. The Second World War. That's why I wanted to get the name right. Uh, because William Mackenzie King yeah. will come up later. Wild. But the Upper Canadians, they like the Family Compact wanted to avoid this rebellion, so they actually sent politician down in the area to oversee the elections and essentially try and award you know uh, compromises to the lower classes. They sent Francis Bond Head. That's his name. Bond. Good name. Space Head. Bond Head. And he was supposed to you know uh, act as like 
oh, you know, we're, we're taking your concerns seriously. We're going to work on that. Uh, what he actually did, though, was rig the election to make sure that the conservative upper Canadian party won okay. a majority and that all of the lower class political representatives were completely taken out of the running. Classic. Gotcha. Like legitimately sabotage the election? 100%. Like, oh, crazy. Basically just redrawing election rules, saying who could vote, who can't, uh, straight up miscounting ballots, right. like gerrymandering, rat fucking. But this is the 1830s, so that's like yeah, ahead of the curve. Yeah, that word had been invented. I know. Crazy. Yeah. He was def- definitely a trendsetter. Knowing that all of their political options had been exhausted, that's when they started to organize into these militias underneath William Lyon Mackenzie. Now, I'm going to tell you about the Upper Canadian Rebellion's kind of class structure. So I mentioned that the family compact was all the rich people, and the other side was the farmers, you know, the working class. And the militias were much reflective of that. William Lyon Mackenzie's militia also featured 120 black Canadian soldiers who joined up with his that cause. That's like a lot. That is a shocking that amount. That would have been all of the black people in Canada, I feel like. Probably in Upper Canada, yeah. A good chunk <laughs> of time, them. At the time, how many people even lived here? Like, not a lot. There were only 200 people total, so... Whereas the other side would have been, you know, like, ex-soldiers and British expats, you know. Yeah. So the one side, you've got your working class army. The other side, you have your elite army. Uh, do you want to take a guess as to which side John A. McDonald fought for? <laughs> so he fought with the uh, loyalists against the rebels. He was one of the many, many conservatives that were at Montgomery's Tavern in 1837 to quash that uprising. There was an armed yeah. conflict there. The rebel leaders were all arrested. Now, confusingly enough, John A. McDonald would actually go on to represent some of those rebel leaders in okay. their criminal trials. Every time you say rebel leaders, I literally am only thinking of Star Wars because that's, that's the yeah, only word that's they true. use it. That's pretty quirky. So, McDonald represented these... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like most Hang girls. Out, you're such a nerd. Stop! I just saying. <laughs> like Zoe Deschanel over here. <laughs> Shut the fuck Zoe up. Zoe 101. <laughs> Folks, sorry, we talking I'm sorry. Knocked them. <laughs> uh, no. So, McDonald would represent some of these rebel leaders, not because, you know, he had a change of heart and he, he realized that their cause of asking for representation representational politics was noble but because he saw it as a good chance to basically get his name out there and make some money yeah there's many things you could say about john get a mcdonald bread. but like the grind number, every day he was always he had mamba mentality yeah there is no doubt oh, about yeah. that john a. mcdonald was like a savvy and like very cunning person genuinely when he mm-hmm. wasn't you know pants on head drunk so he represented these rebel leaders uh but admittedly criminal law wasn't really his passion this is a quote so he got into commercial law and uh, his most valued clients were established businessmen and corporations okay <laughs> he then used the money he leveraged from working in his uh legal office to purchase properties both in kingston as well as rental properties in toronto oh no making him a toronto landlord toronto landlord mm. yes. famously some of the kindest and most generous people <laughs> least he also was involved uh, in various businesses here in the city of Kingston. He was elected as a director for most of them. It's kind of just the title, but because he had experience in law. Like movies or? I wish. No, this is just like, oh, he's on your board of directors, essentially. Oh. One of the companies not he was like involved Star- with. So not like Star Wars movies. Uh, no, not like Star Wars, which we know uh, Megan has seen. Joke, <laughs> he, he, actually, funny. he actually came back from the dead to help out with uh, Crimson Peaks from Guillermo del Toro. Oh, it was a little known. He, he yeah. showed up and he was like, sorry, Del Toro. 
but uh, you're too Spanish to direct this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the director now. We had he, he does look like a villain from a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah, period piece. John A. McDonald <laughs> definitely does have like a stern visage. Although I will yeah. admit, in one of the pictures that we're looking at right now, he is kind of hot. He's he's a little nice with it here. He does. Um, he, he had nice hair. Yeah, piece he, of shit. No, his hair was like two puffs on the side. No, of his like head. early in his life, he had nice hair. Okay, like, show me a picture. Yeah, Dean, as you show Megan this picture, I'm going to uh, continue on here. So one okay. of the companies yeah, yeah, uh, John A. McDonald got involved with was based, uh, well, near Quebec, and it was the St. Lawrence Warehouse Dock and Wharfage Company, which is a position he would maintain as president and director while he was in office, okay. which seems like a bit of a conflict of interest. Yeah. Uh, but hey, that wouldn't be the most scandalous thing he was involved with. So to quickly recap his early life, he was the son of a businessman. He went failed to a businessman. failed businessman, but still he made enough money to send him to a private school. So he's one of those private school freaks. Yep. He fought against the working class coalition in the defense of a corrupt political oligarchy. And he was a landlord. Yep. So now we're going to move to the king. 1840s. No, <laughs> <laughs> he wishes. We, we stand a king. So he's still based in Kingston and he starts getting involved with municipal politics at this time, serving as an alderman. Uh, he held pretty typical at the time conservative views. He defended the imperial prerogative. Uh, he believed in like traditional land inheritance. So if you were the oldest son, you would de facto get whatever property uh, your father owned. Things like that. He also held a number of high-ranking roles within the governments in Upper Canada. So as we're going to talk about a little bit later on, he served as head of the militias for a while. He served as kind of like a head of commerce. He did all these, you know, odd job, busy work things. Uh, eventually, he would form his own political party called the Liberal Conservatives. Okay. Very clever. Makes sense. Which was a <laughs> coalition of conservatives, upper Canadian reformers, and the French Canadian party, the Bleus. So even back in the day, you couldn't get anything done in politics without conceding to Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> you still needed them, and they hated each other. Ugh. Classic. So he would serve as the Attorney General of Upper Canada in the mid-1850s. Now this is a period of time in Canadian political history that was marred by just complete deadlock. Literally nothing could get accomplished. The divisions between Upper and Lower Canada were so steep and severe that you just couldn't accomplish anything whatsoever. Eventually, he did manage to form a tenuous alliance between Canada West, what we know as Upper Canada, and Canada East, Quebec, or Lower Canada. Decide on a name. I know. They these changed freaks it. <laughs> changed the name of these places four or five times. Jesus Christ, Dean, we learned about this in, like, grade 10. Isn't it? Maybe funny? you did. But I was out, like, doing drugs and playing video games and being Shabber, cool. Having sex with women. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like you did in grade 10. That's one That's time. Right. Yeah. You're right, you're right. I'm the loser. Yeah. Drugs are his puffer, so... so anyone's aware. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, he, the Dominion of Canada would be born in the 1860s, and uh, MacDonald wasted no time in creating a federal system that would give the central government unmistakable dominance over provincial governments, so similar to the system we have today. Oh, Why, so he's like they, Hamilton. They domed yeah. the Federalists. <laughs> <laughs> he did dom the rest of Canada. Yeah, that's, that's right. Cool. Uh, essentially, he knew that for him to get anything accomplished, he would have to centralize the government and then give that central government all the power. So he created this alliance. Sounds like socialism to me. That's right. Uh, he was a socialist. <laughs> cool. No, he wasn't. But very sneakily, he consolidated all this power and then essentially became the leader of the country, the first prime minister, even predating confederation. Oh, he wasn't elected? Kind of. It's weird. Okay. Like his party was, was in he power. he just re-elected later then? Yeah. He, more he had less. a bunch of terms, didn't he? Well, here's the... Th oh, we're going to get to that too. The amount of time he served as prime minister is insane. Uh, so a lot of his early days, uh, the big thing to pitch Federation was promising other uh, territories an intercolonial railway so they could trade goods more easily with the more quote-unquote developed parts of the Dominion. Hell yeah. And for him to be able to get that railway done, uh, well, 
a lot of people were going to have to suffer. They needed to kill a lot of Chinese people first. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if that was the intent, but that was certainly the intent. That was a fun little bonus. So he went around selling uh, this intercolonial railway to other parts of the Dominion. He also had to purchase a great deal of land from the Hudson's Bay Company, which was a massive... I mean, they made most of their money from the fur trade, but became yeah. like a general, just massive goods provider. He would purchase uh, parts of what we know now as Manitoba from the HBC, Rupert's Land. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened when he did that in just a moment. But to build this railway, they knew they were going to need a great amount of manpower. 19,000 total people worked on the Canadian Railway, 15,000 of which were Chinese immigrants. That's 80% that of the manpower. <laughs> Many of these Chinese immigrants came from China, believing they could make enough money to essentially, when it was done, return to China and start a business there, okay. provide for their families. Or what? bring their families over, I thought, was part of the deal, too. If they worked on it, they were allowed to like bring their wife and kids. They could. They could. The site I read noted specifically the business interests mm. first. That's what I went with, but you're mm. definitely correct. Some kind of amount. financial stability. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you want to know how much they were paid per day? I don't really have a reference of what a lot or a little would be at the time. So. Uh, they were paid $1.50 per day. Okay. With, Sounds low. Yeah, wait. How much was that? Is that with inflation? No, that's just... In, like, at the time... No, that's... Uh, inflation-wise, I don't know what it would be, but it'd still be well below a minimum wage. Yeah. And the other sound like difficult lot. thing is working on the railway was incredibly dangerous. Yeah, they used dynamite. They did use dynamite. Also, the train they worked on, for example, if they were in an area with a lot of mountains and they had to, you know, tunnel through the mountains, you can't snow pierce through this and, you know, weave mm-hmm. it all the way around the mountains. They would, yep, use dynamite. They would blow it up. They'd lay down track. There were a lot of cave-ins yeah. uh, killing hundreds of people. Now, the number of Chinese dead that they gave was 600. That is suspiciously low. Let me tell you why that's suspiciously low. I did some research here. There was a picture that detailed about 32 people per unit. Of those 32, 23% of that unit would die on average. That's eight people. Yeah. Some numbers I looked up saw 650 as laughable. And the closer total was upwards of 2,000 Chinese Jesus. immigrant Yeah, I can workers. imagine. Like, At least. Yeah, they Part were of using that, dynamite in like mountains. It's they crazy. They were also working them over 18 hours a day. Mm. They were feeding them essentially nothing. It was thin stew. Basically enough to survive, but nothing more than that. They were also working through all conditions. So you can imagine diseases spread ridiculously fast. Workers were dying by the hundreds at certain points on this railway. But hey... They got it done. And as but now we can trade goods more efficiently. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> as oh, a libertarian. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mentioned that they purchased Rupert's Land from the HBC. Rupert's Land was not unoccupied territory, as you could imagine. There was a large Metis population that lived in this area at the time, and they were rightfully concerned that with the encroachment of the Canadian government, their way of life and their land claims would not be respected. Essentially, the Metis in the area at the time formed a provisional government to negotiate with the Canadian government government trying to get certain concessions to ensure that, you know, their lifestyle wouldn't be completely destroyed. Louis Riel, a very important figure yep. in Canadian history, would eventually... A king, from what I've been told. A phenomenally important person. Wow. He would eventually take over the role of leader in this provisional government. One of the ways in which they could maintain a good negotiation base is they actually captured Fort Gary in Rupert's Land and held it as a bargaining chip. Essentially saying, all right, we have a little bit of stake in the game now. We want to make sure these negotiations are as fair as possible. Now, at the same time as the railway workers are trying to encroach in, uh, English settlers from the east kind of following the railways would also start to settle on Métis land illegally. Many of these settlers were also Protestant. The Métis, the ones that were religious, were Catholic, and they were once again concerned that their religious interests were going to be threatened as well. One such settler, an orangeman by the name of Thomas Scott, 
would be captured by the Métis forces and put in Fort Garry. They had a brig set up there to keep all of their prisoners. Unfortunately, the decision was made to execute Thomas Scott. And I say unfortunately, not because he was a good person. He was pretty much a piece of shit. He was a Protestant. That, well, <laughs> he was just a deeply racist guy. You know, he's a colonialist, an imperialist. However, the decision to execute Thomas Scott basically crossed a bridge for negotiations. They were still willing to negotiate with the provisional government, but they would not grant amnesty to any of the leaders after the negotiations were completed. Meaning if you were in charge of that provisional government, you would be seen as like a treasonous enemy of the state. And that's exactly what happened to Louis Riel. When they negotiated an agreement to cede this land and receive various concessions, uh, Louis Riel was not offered amnesty and he actually had to flee to the United States. Now, the provisions granted to the Métis things such as land and territorial claims were almost immediately disregarded and within two or three generations they were completely forgotten about. Wait, didn't Louis Riel come back and yes. have a rebellion yes. and then get hanged? Yes, okay. we're going to talk about that, don't worry. Okay, sounds good. So, with Rupert's land tied up, they began laying the tracks and moving further westward. The goal was always pushing towards the Pacific. So, MacDonald began to look for contractors to build this railway. One such contractor was a man by the name of Hugh Allen. Hugh Allen also happened to be one of the biggest donors to the McDonald campaign. Okay. Pumping millions of dollars, like not current day, millions like of I was dollars say. <laughs> into his reelection. Now, this is where you can really start to see the differences between that society and their politics and our society. This was seen as such a massive scandal at the time that John A. McDonald actually had to resign from office. Oh, wow. so they, they caught him like selling a contract to sell one of his buddies. And they were like, fuck, man, get the f get the fuck out of here. Which is so quaint. That's yeah. so cute. Could you imagine? Like, I, I read what that. A, what a like, world. Yeah, I was like, what? So He'd be really proud to see where we've come. <laughs> <laughs> well, in certain aspects, I'm sure he really would. Yeah. Man. So he was forced to resign office. The, his conservative party, they went from the liberal conservatives to just the conservatives. They yep. still... Mask off, baby, yeah. let's go. <laughs> they still ran for, uh, ran for office, but were defeated. And I want to read you a quote here. McDonald's drinking problem worsened around this time. This, this would be 1874. Famous. This is the only thing that I knew about this guy. Now, let's talk about McDonald's love of the drink. Okay. He's a proud yeah. Scotsman. Okay. okay. Well, be careful. And Whoa, even hey. <laughs> by the drunken standards of the 19th century, and even in a profession where most of his contemporaries were perpetually buzzed, McDonald consumed shocking quantities of liquor. Yeah. Because, like, back in this time, being a politician was basically just, like, being in the boys' chat. Yeah. You know? Uh, like, you just... Less affirmation, though. Le yeah, no, it, like, less, like, you know, standing king. <laughs> uh, but they did stand the king, but and it was, like, King George. They were all short, so... <laughs> every, every king was being stand, short kings especially, because they That's were all, true. like, five foot four. Yeah, but yeah. like it was like being in a boys chat. Uh, you just sort of like, you know, lounge around in your own like, you know, lush living quarters Ugh. and just like, you know, drink a lot because you have nothing else to do. Berate your slaves. Uh, yeah, berate your slaves. Uh, talk about how... True? I don't think that's true. But anyway, continue. No, no, no. Well, you're servants. They're yeah, you're servants. servants. <laughs> basic wage slaves, folks. And I don't know, uh, just like talk about girls. Uh, like, oh, I, I saw Candace's ankle. One like, of them really what, liked poetry. The one that got shot in front of his house. I don't remember which one that was, but... Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, poems, too. I, I have another little anecdote about McDonald's oh, sure. that I was reading. Yes. Uh, apparently, uh, he regretted not going to university uh, so he could have learned, like, more, like, secret conservative yeah. file handshakes. <laughs> more one, skull one and bone. 
bones. Some more skull yeah. and bones shit. He wanted to start the Kingston skull and bones chapter. Yeah. He never got the chance. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, but he had said to a friend that uh, if he had gone to university, he probably would have uh, pursued a career in literature. Oh, Jesus which, Christ. Which, oh my God. Would this country be immeasurably better or worse? It's hard to tell. Well, it's hard to know. It's crazy because uh, it comes up later, but uh, poetry and terrible um, politics oh, yeah. <laughs> have gone hand in hand in this country <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. for quite some time. Christ Almighty. And if and if you know who I'm talking about, you know. T.S. Eliot. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah T- that fucking dick bag. What I'm going to tell you about McDonald, this might sound cool and you might be like, oh, that's kind of cool. But remember, this is like a historic piece of shit. But admittedly, this is the only time the devil will ever get his due in this episode because some of these anecdotes are quite amazing so mcdonald was known to get belligerent at dinner parties and go on days long benders he would frequently show up to parliament too drunk to talk or stand (laughs) how did he get there (laughs) they would basically prop him up as he tried to defend his bills some of these bills failed because he was too drunk to coherently defend them right on showing up to work just so fucked up mcdonald was also if you did that, like, working at a McDonald's, <laughs> you, you would be sent to prison. They would definitely get mad at you. I don't, uh, I don't think they'd fire you, though. I've, I've seen I used some... to work pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> McDonald was also famously shit-faced during the Fenian invasion of 1866. Fenians are essentially Irish Republicans. They were trying to invade Canada and various parts of the United States to use it as, like, a leverage chip in negotiations with Britain for free Ireland. That's cool. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So the Fenians invaded Niagara near the Welland Canal. Oh, right. <laughs> that, those are my ancestors. Yeah, Absolutely. That's probably who Dean is yeah. fond from. So on June 1st, 1866, <laughs> the Fenians invaded Niagara region looking to conquer tracts of land to negotiate back to the British. God, I hope my ancestors were Irish conquerors. <laughs> oh, my God. So regiments were scattered. Irish kings. Or, sorry. <laughs> were scrambled and deployed to the area. John A. MacDonald was the minister of militias at this time. And he was, quote-unquote, blackout drunk. Cool. As his biographer would write, as frantic telegrams poured in, he was reportedly too drunk to even read them. (laughs) Hypothesis A would be that he went on a bender from time to time, and unluckily the Fenians chose one of those those moments to invade. Or months. (laughs) One month or he was super drunk. Uh, Hypothesis B would be that he freaked out and took to the bottle immediately. Oh. And that's what his official biographer thinks. Yeah. Now, the Fenian raids would eventually fail, mostly because of U.S. intervention. They were like, we don't want our territory captured. And that was the worst thing the U.S. ever did. Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's all uphill from there. Uh, In 1868, this is my favorite, he was so drunk at an official luncheon for for Queen Victoria's son, Prince Arthur, that he couldn't stand up. Yeah! (laughs) That is a mood. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie to you. You should treat those shitheads exactly like that. Oh, God, yeah. During the 1872 election, McDonald's campaign manager said that his boss kept himself more or less under the influence of wine and frequently had no memory of the day's proceedings. I've, I've just had an epiphany. Sir John A. was like the drunk uncle of this country. He's like, what is he? Drunk all the time because he can't deal with his own shit. Yeah. Belligerently racist. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to, to a T. And we'll just go off at <laughs> we, any time. We will dive more in depth uh, than that shortly. Lots of shady business dealings yep. uh, in which he doesn't really come out on top because he's sort of dumb. Yeah. And uh, you know when your drunk schemes. uncle tries to do genocide. All <laughs> yeah. Time, yeah. <laughs> My drunk uncle does constantly talk about the Irish, though. So there is yeah. a crossover. And remember, in 1874 is when his drinking got worse. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to that, this yeah. is just like yeah. happy little moments. I was going to say, uh, 
Drunkle Mac had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> he, but, he knew how to vibe. And, like, again, like I know we said this already, but, again, we have to stress, like, it is so hard to be painted as a drunk <laughs> in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. Everyone was so drunk all the time. They give kids beer. Yeah. Like, like that's just, like, that's whiskey, all they had. Cocaine was a medical product. Yeah. <laughs> Like, everyone was just vibing constantly. I also found out who it was in the boys' club that got shot because he liked poems or whatever. Darcy McGee. Ah. Sounds like the sort of guy who would get shot for poetry. (laughs) So, McDonald would return to power in 1878, the Conservative Party winning the election, and he immediately inherited a massive famine in the prairies, caused mostly by the overhunting of the bison. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. So, McDonald is still working on the railroad, all the live long day at this point. They're laying track. Yeah, that's the joke that gets laughs. <laughs> that's the it's one. A Just, song. Our brains have been so smoothed over yeah. by the last couple of weeks. So he used this famine in the prairies essentially as a way to strong arm uh, indigenous communities off their lands and into reserves. Why? Well, because he had a railroad to build. What? Oh my god, I can't imagine someone would do something. I know. Like that. That's such a horrible I didn't see that coming. So to streamline the process even more, McDonald gave himself the role like the sole authority over all indigenous affairs stating that and this is a quote Indian matters form so great a portion of the general policy of the government that I think it necessary for the prime minister whomever he may be wink wink (laughs) to have that in his own hands he appointed a number of this is another quote Indian agents to oversee the reserves one such that term was used for like a really long time uh, yeah like it was abolished very recently like in the 21st century like in in the states, like they still have like a in a department of Indian, um, Indian affairs. affairs. Yeah. In, in Canada, we, we still do have too. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's called it's, the Indian Act that we still use. Yeah, wow. I feel like uh, I feel like a few podcasts back, I I read exactly what is on my uh, my band card, oh, and, and it literally says certificate of status, Indian, Indian status, or Indian status rather. Wild. So yeah. so we still yeah, it's uh, Indian affairs. Oh, what's it called? Sorry, sorry. I think it's like Indian Indigenous Affairs. Like they added Indigenous in there, but Indian is still in the title yeah like we we still use that and and it's it's still an indian affairs minister um they they tried changing some of the stuff not too long ago and when i say not too long ago i mean like it's been a a a topic for a very long time Mm. but just in the last few years they were like we need to change this and i'm not sure if it went through or not i'm not super privy to that but i'm pretty sure yeah it's inac inac that's Mm. that's a indian and northern affairs Canada. that's right 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 yeah so sorry one of the agents in charge of these reserves was a man by the name of Thomas Quinn. In a particularly notorious incident in 1884, he, Thomas Quinn, gathered his emaciated charges in front of the on-reserve ration house before declaring them the victims of an April Fool's joke and turning them away with nothing. What? Yeah, I've heard of this guy. What? Yeah. That happened? So, it's like, actually, like, very, oh, that's so that's, evil. That's, no. Yeah, that that's is. That happened? Straight up evil shit. What the hell? Like, I get, like, you know how you can sort of like contextualize like you know the horrors of colonialism with just like the blind market which yeah. is just like completely impervious you can find to- justifications you know, not justifications but you can understand like okay in a system that's completely devoid of morals yeah. like completely amoral like the idea is like okay I'll just do whatever I need to to amass the most wealth for me and mine and fuck mm-hmm. everyone else you can you can understand how someone's brain can operate like that but like for, to, for someone to do like that that's like 
cartoonishly. Well, think of how much power they have. Your brain gets fucked. Like insane. You and you control all these people's lives. Of course, you're gonna do shit like that. Like it's fucking it's evil. insane. And remember, one of the overriding doctrines of the time, although it was an American doctrine, this notion of manifest destiny, it was still a common notion shared by politicians at the time, which is that it's you know man's religious and like holy duty to civilize the uncivilized parts of the country. And that's how you do that. That's how he did it. Jesus so, Christ. Well, man. it was also just to like make them die. Like I'm sure yeah. you're going to talk about this, but oh, the policy yeah, was to starve them one day, feed as them. As a matter the next. of fact, yeah. So McDonald, this was not like a rare incident. This is pretty typical of what the Indian agents would do at the time. In, McDonald's Indian agents were a thing until 1966. I just looked wow. it up just wow. just to just to give some context. Oh, God. No, it's it's chill. Band offices replaced them, and they're great. Oh, God, <laughs> they they really do. It's it's um what do they call that? Uh, breaking the buck when you actually get your own people to fucking oh, crack down themselves? on you. Yeah, yeah, that's literally what band offices are for. Jesus. So McDonald's Indian agents explicitly withheld food in order to drive bands on to reserves and out of the way of the railroad. A liberal MP at the time even called it, and this is a direct quote, a policy of submission shaped by a policy of starvation. Yeah. For a liberal MP at the time, in 1884, to note that is pretty staggering. The squalid conditions ensured the McDonald's spent much of the 1880s overseeing near-constant famines and epidemics on federally controlled reserves. In only five years between 1880 and 1885, the population of Plains First Nations dropped from 32,000 to 20,000. Yeah. That is 12,000 people directly starved to death yeah, underneath from, McDonald's. From policy, right? Like exactly. In the 1800s, yeah. yeah. And that doesn't even talk about the wars that we've waged, and as I'm going to mention here in a second, the rebellions that sprung up along the way where even more people were killed. Food was meager and low quality. Here's another delightful anecdote for you. Flour provided to a starving Cree reserve was nothing more than sweepings from a grist mill. In 1883, tainted government flour killed up to 20 people at what is now Alberta's Kenai First Nations. <laughs> They were serving them sawdust. Yeah. Oh, my God. Under McDonald's authorization in 1885, crowds of hungry Cree were herded together around what is now Battleford, Saskatchewan, to silently witness the mass execution of eight fellow Cree. Mm -hmm. Quote, the executions of the Indians ought to convince the red man that the white man governs, McDonald wrote to Ed Edgar Dudney. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a huge deal. I, I remember hearing about that a lot um, growing up, and then it, like, it, it really stands out if you're reading it to any kind of like history of like Canada like if you it, reading that it's just like that's that's an actual you know these other things have been kind of brought more to light but even that one was common knowledge like and people have known that and historians have known that like that's not a new thing that it's like oh my god I can't believe this happened it's like no we've been talking about that for a long fucking time he, and it's just it's it's absolutely monstrous it's literally in his own words as yeah. direct a quote and direct a like crystallization of purely racist policy yeah, right. McDonald also made it mandatory for indigenous children to attend residential schools, hotbeds for all manners of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, you name it. And here's another quote. When the school is on the reserve, the child lives with his parents who are savages, and is he, he is surrounded by savages. He is simply a savage who can read and write, McDonald told the House of Commons. Jesus. By 1920, indigenous families were required federally by law to send all children as young as seven to distant residential schools run by churches. 
the role of these schools was to quote unquote civilize and Christianize indigenous children. Can I explain just a little further the uh, yes. mandatory aspect of, course. of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what it was is like if you are a federally registered Indian, so like I am to this day, right? My children would be as a parent, the Indian agent would come to my house and be like, you have kids here. And you talk to the Indian agent and they're like, yeah, you're unfit to be a parent. Uh, We're going to take your kids. And the only way out of this is either A, you pay me money, like bribe under the table, right? Jesus Christ. And, and we won't take your kids. And that was noted. Like you can you can look at this up. Like people have done this, and people did do this. But like people on reserves didn't have money because they weren't even allowed to farm, or if they were allowed to farm, they weren't able to sell off the reserve. So, and that's still to this day. You're still not allowed to sell off the reserve. But anyway, so people didn't have money. So like you could bribe them, but nobody had money. The other option you had, if you didn't want your children taken away, was to sell your staff. Status. Um, you would you would get about a thousand dollars at the time, which was huge money, to sell your native status, your Indian status. You would get your uh, any of your benefits as an indigenous person, any of your. Um, benefits granted by the queen uh for service and for historical like atrocities and stuff like that just like agreements that have happened in the past you'd be selling that and uh you would have to leave the reserve you'd have to leave your home because only indians can live on reserve so essentially they're saying either you get up and leave and you get zero benefits and you're just a brown person in a white city uh with your kids and good luck there or you know we're stealing your kids and the amount of people that actually took that option to sell their Indian status has led to a huge resurgence in uh, people claiming Indian status even in the last, like, 20 years uh, because there's proof that you know, their status was sold. Wow. Even though these documents were burnt up and not too long after the fact because people didn't want other people to realize that you could sell your status because that was horrible. Uh, they, uh, You're able to like go through the documentation and stuff like that. That does still exist and you can find that um, someone might have sold their status or was registered at one point and lost it at another because they didn't want their kids to be taken away. Mm-hmm. So it was mandatory insofar as you didn't lose your status or you didn't pay under the table. Just so you guys know. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are trying to reclaim status right now, and it's an incredibly difficult process if there's no previous documentation. God, I Learning about imagine. this is always wild because, like, sort of like what I was saying before, but you're like, oh, like, yeah, it's like systematic, you know, racist policy that dehumanizes people uh, for the benefit of, like, the already powerful and the already wealthy. But it's also these tiny, like, not tiny, but, like, these, like, interpersonal cruelties. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I think it's important to remember that people are also just, like, shitty. Oh. Fundamentally. If, oh, there are a lot of shitty people if, if, that make a shitty system th- run. There's notorious Indian agents from the past. Yeah. Like, and, and there's like, I bet you if I talk to someone who's, you know, even my, my grandpa who just recently turned uh, like 75 or something like that, he um, remembers his mom declining the Indian agent to send him to a residential school. And essentially his mom was just like, either you leave my property or we're gonna like fist fight. Mm. <laughs> and, and then the Indian agent literally left after like a huge long argument because it, it's it's a cowardly route. They thought it was easy money. You know, you show up, you either steal the kids or you make yeah. some cash. Yeah. But yeah, like it, 
I bet you if I asked him, he'd probably be able to tell me the name of the person that was going around the reserve. And none of the Indian agents at the time were from the reserve. And also none of them were actually um, professionals in their and in, in anything, in any no way. Training, usually yeah. usually they're hired goons. Usually it was uh, <laughs> literally they would go the city over and be like, you're nearby and you have transportation to get here. We want you to keep an eye on these people and we'll pay you X amount per month. And people would be like, yeah, sure, that's an easy fucking job. And then there was no um, hierarchy above that. So you could literally do whatever you wanted. And that's why all these people got away with like selling their status and paying under the table and stuff like that. Because uh, there was just no jurisdiction whatsoever. It was literally like extort these indigenous people. We're not going to tell anybody. Just knock, knock, knock. Who's there? Hired goons. Yeah, exactly. We're here for your kids. And, what? and shit like that has happened as recently as like the 70s and the 80s. You can, you hear it with uh, certain reserves like in like Dean Territory or like out in um, British Columbia with like chiefs that had hired goons and stuff like that. That oh would essentially God. do exactly the same thing, right? They would just ramp up your rent and uh, extort you. In, in the theme of like selling status, like the Canadian government, is that not what they've been trying to do for basically all of history? Is like any time a First Nation comes to them and is like, we want to start this project. I have only learned this from like one Indigenous Studies professor at Queen's, but you say like, okay, we're going to sell our trees from like the reserve or whatever and like make a company and make money and the government is essentially like okay you can do that but you have to give up all of your land claim and title and yep. like as soon as, and then you're not status Indian anymore and then you can have a company and that's just like the Canadian government still tries to do that even today like they always are trying to get people to give up status and that's like every time there's a new party agreement that goes through the House of Commons even now it's like the government trying to be like well this is such a corrupt system like reserve blah 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 like we should change it and then it's always basically just don't be Indian anymore and yeah, then and yeah. then it always gets shot down and that happened like even three years ago like Trudeau was in charge of one of these like bills that tried to do almost the same thing like yeah it's not necessarily selling status but rather it's selling land back to Canada mm-hmm. uh, and they're like yeah this reserve land if like if you sell it to us there won't be any crazy jurisdiction issues between like your sovereign nation or your territory and the Canadian government when when it comes to selling resources to Canadian people and Canadian citizens, they're like, if you just make this Canadian property, yeah, then you're good to go. You don't have to worry about any of this. But if you do it on the reserve, you got to make sure you're not selling it off the reserve. And that's why the police hang out outside of Tyananega and try to find people for buying cigarettes because it's illegal to sell to people that aren't from the reserve. Yeah. Wow. So about 154,000 Indigenous children were forced into these schools between 1874 and 1996. And and at least 6,000 children died while in the direct care of these schools, at least. And I would bet that's also a number much, much higher. But also the residential school that was hanging out in 1996 was not one where they would take children from a reserve. Like mm. the last um, major grabbing of children other than, uh, what is it, CAS child, or CPS? Yeah. Uh, other than CPS and what they're currently doing to this day was <laughs> like in the early 60s to early 70s with the 60s scoop, right? Mm. right. Like that residential school was still kicking but that's it was its foundation was as a residential school but i don't believe that they there weren't still taking children from right. reserves at that point in time it was illegal to practice some things in yeah. certain areas as, at that point in time but you know mm-hmm. nobody was stealing kids i don't think so as the railway moved further out west uh we once again run into louis real so the metis in the regions towards the pacific brought louis real back from the united states in 1884 
14 years after leaving the country to avoid the federal government. Rial, while uh, working with these Métis, authored the Revolutionary Bill of Rights in March of 1885 and urged both Métis and non-Métis settlers in the West to sign. The Bill of Rights laid out the following. Basically, the Métis rights of possession of the land and that they would have a right to settle land disputes locally so they wouldn't have to go all the way to Ottawa to settle these disputes. They could set up municipal courts and get things taken care of then. Armed Métis captured the Batoche Paris Church and called for the surrender of the Hudson's Bay Company uh, post of Fort Carlton, just like before they wanted to use this as a bargaining chip with the government to ensure that they got something out of this and they wouldn't just be overwhelmed and uh, invaded. So, negotiations between the Métis and a local volunteer wing as well as RCMP troops would eventually end in gunfire and with the volunteers in the RCMP retreating. Ottawa's response to this was swift and brutal. Militias and the army were dispatched to the region. In less than a month, over 3,000 troops were transported to the area on the newly created railway. Battles raged for the next couple months. Canadian forces would eventually topple the provisional government in June of 1885. Louis Riel would be tried on five counts of treason and despite outcry from politicians and even some members of the general public alike, McDonald himself would sign off on his execution in July of that same year. So, despite the fact that politicians were like, well, you know what, he makes a very compelling case, like, this is a, it's also still dripping in racism at the time, oh, he's so well-spoken, he's such a noble person, but even then they were like, this is an important figure, like, you shouldn't do this, and he's like, "Mm, fuck it, and he signed off and Louis Riel was hanged in 1885. McDonald's Great Railway was completed a short time after. Uh, this is what was said by a local one of the uh, MPs. He had a deadline, and that's why he put the screws on so tight. <laughs> so, the trains ran on time. That's I right. Guess. McDonald <laughs> would die in 1891 after suffering a massive stroke. This was cool. also shortly after winning another federal election. John A. McDonald served as prime minister. 19 years oh in total. Second only to William Lyon Mackenzie King. Yeah. In between King. his seances and all the other things. Yeah, that guy was a freak. We should man. do an episode on. We actually should do an episode on William Lyon Mackenzie King. He's a King. freak? Yeah. He, he used like, to conduct seances what to guy. talk Wait, to his dead mother. Does that make you a freak, though? It, in the time, kind of. <laughs> sounds pretty dope. He's actually a quite <laughs> an interesting when, figure. When you were a world leader during <laughs> yeah. World War II. He basically believed in <laughs> astrology. Oh, that's pretty. Uh, it's real, guys. Yeah, he was a real. Yeah, real stupid. Honestly, he just sounds like a dude who would vibe check both of you. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh yeah, no. I, he, yeah, he. I think he's a cool guy. Like the one thing I know he's about a him. Cool guy. Well, well, need to do <laughs> a conscription or something. Well, yeah. He's a complex every, figure, but yeah. he's not as genocidal. Oh yeah. As John A. McDonald. But like he was also like to be as genocidal as John A. McDonald. From what I've read about him, like everyone was sort of surprised that he won his election <laughs> and like continued to rule the country for so long because like everyone thought he was sort of like a loser. Yeah, he was. Like wasn't uh, he also really short? I guess they're all short. They were all yeah. short. But everybody like, in that time was a manlet. Like, uh, the Allied that Powers. That time, and now we're, like, talking about 100 years apart. The Allied Powers, if you'll allow me. No. Uh, huh? Like, uh, FDR and Churchill would, like, hang out and, like, talk about, like, plans and not invite him because they just didn't <laughs> want him around because he was such a weird little goblin. That's also a Canada thing, though. It's like, we can't sit at the big boy table. But it, it was specifically specifically 
it. They were like, we don't want to be around him. We don't him want him at dinner. Like, he's just a freak. That'll be another episode. Yeah. I love, can't wait. This sounds like some guy I want to hang out with. Yeah, so if, like, you, if you weren't liked by Winston Churchill, you were probably okay. So yeah, McDon- you're chill. McDonald's body would be paraded around the city of Kingston on a funeral train. Uh, not like behind a car. No, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been much better if they dragged him. He's actually buried in the Cataraqui Cemetery, which is where my grandfather and grandmother are buried. So while I'm watering their flowers, I can maybe water his with a different type. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his legacy, this is what the mainstream interpretation of it is, Everyone not my belief. Uh, his legacy was that of a grand unifier. The city of Kingston served as something of a liberal living memorial for him ever since. We mentioned earlier there's streets and pubs and statues dedicated to this man. And in fact, by bobbleheads. He with his hands has yeah. a little plaque That's saying, right. John yeah. Mac- Johnny McDonald touched this house. Yeah. Johnny McDonald okay. whacked off here. He, <laughs> yeah. he got real drunk and puked on this honor. Oh, do you want to hear, uh, I have another uh, drunk story from yes. oh, Sir please. John A. Uh, so one time, like I, I don't know the name of the building or like, but it was like where the Prime Minister lived. Yeah. It was like the, like they, Bellevue House. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Bellevue House because this was in Ottawa, I believe. Oh, okay. Like cool, this cool. is while he was like serving as Prime okay, Minister. Okay, cool. When they moved the capital. Yeah. And it was like the, the big like fancy estate that like he lived at and that like future prime ministers would live at but he got really really drunk uh and then went to bed at night and as he went to bed just knocked his candle over <laughs> onto his like beautiful silk like bed sheets and like you know how they had like the hanging curtains and shit and the whole thing just like went up instantly Jeez. and he almost burned down the whole goddamn out he had to be dragged out because he was still unconscious i love him explaining <laughs> it to like the uh the maid as she's washing the sheets no mine dear it was just candle wax <laughs> Twas nothing else on that. <laughs> uh, when we were in first year, a bunch of people from our floor went to a party at one of his old houses, and someone broke the window. <laughs> yeah, funny. that's Good. Praxis. That owns. That's pretty. I don't know if it was on purpose because they didn't like Johnny McDonald. But do you remember when uh, it was so cool? People vandalized the statue here in town, like the multiple yeah. times it's happened. That shit rules. I'm pro. Parody. No. <laughs> yeah, it's all. It's all, my, it's all my. It's all my brothers and sisters and folks out there. Do it again. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that was that shit was awesome. Parody. Yeah, this, this isn't a parody. I'm this being. Parody. I am being. You're not so allowed to serious. encourage people to do crimes. That that is a crime. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm being so serious right now. It's a right victimless now. crime. <laughs> What's this the statue? Allegedly, do? they don't know parody. who I am. They don't know who I am. That's I'm like right. a, this is like Radio Free Roscoe. They have no fucking idea. <laughs> Where are they even recording this? Yeah, they have no idea, man. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the vandalism of that statue is actually what really started to open my eyes to the just absolutely monstrous human being, John A. McDonald was. Ultimately, any discussion of his legacy cannot exclude his monstrous, even by the times, monstrous treatment yeah. of Canada's indigenous people, as well as his willing neglect of uh, worker safety that resulted in the death of at least a couple thousand Chinese immigrants. He was raised at the bosom of privilege. He made his name defending the imperial interests and the political oligarchy. He spent the best part of his life maneuvering into positions of absolute power. He sold confederation on the promise of a railway and he was not going to let anything, including the death of thousands of Chinese immigrants or the denigration and death of thousands of indigenous Canadians stop him. This is a man whose legacy ultimately should be that of a genocideer more than anything. That, if you ask me, is what his lasting cultural significance should be because that is the most meaningful thing he did. Not bringing... He, we weren't even a country while he was alive. We, w- we had to like beg and plead Britain to grant us that status a hundred fucking years later. All he did was sell a railroad to a bunch of, well, at the time, British, probably pedophiles, and then rip off regular people to build it and kill 
countless thousands along the way. If only he had just left us some shitty poetry instead. Yeah. <laughs> if only he had writ- written his book where he's a yeah. he's a young man moving to a new city for the first time and he's trying to trying to make a go of it. Uh, except all the pages are just like coated in his vomit. Yeah. And he <laughs> he fell as- he fell asleep and knocked a candle onto his book and he has to submit like he's like running to his publisher. <laughs> oh! This is like where the question like after that summary, where does the difficulty of understanding why people would not want his effigy and him to be idolized all throughout the city like i don't understand why that question is still asked of like whoa well what's the problem man <laughs> like like he, he did a lot for the country and it's like yeah 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 and at the expense of a lot of fucking people though. yeah i feel like first just a lot of people don't know that he mm-hmm. did bad shit second people like my history teacher literally taught us to starve them one day, feed them the next thing, and how he dealt with Louis Riel and everything, and was just like, yeah, that sucked, but, you know, we're living, and then made us pat his little head. As, yeah. So, yeah. like, they just don't give a fuck. I don't know. That's true. It, this, That's true. This might be part of my ongoing series of just getting annoyed when Canadians think they're better than Americans. You look at, like, the U.S., who also have, like, all these, like, horrendous genocidal maniacs that they have, like, plastered all over their money, like they're like Washington and his ilk are like these heroes of you know democracy and freedom uh, while owning slaves and you think like just how completely like vacuous and vapid like that hero worship is Mm. and then you look at the exact same thing happening in Canada like the exact same thing and like the thing about the US is that at least they have a mythology around it you know like at least they have like these stories and these ideas about who these people were like you know George Washington like chopping down the cherry tree and like crossing the Potomac and being a general like there are aspects that you can like paint a heroic portrait from yeah there's nothing to mcdonald's character that is interesting yeah. exciting except for the fact that he just got so fucked up but even that's like yeah look at how incompetent yeah. this idiot is exactly Why is he in a lot of people of argue they're like uh well you know confederation of canada that's that's it that's yeah. literally it, it could have been it. anybody else yeah, yeah. it could have been anybody else Absolutely. but i think that's what their argument is is that even though it could have been anybody else who cares about anything else that they've done because they did that one thing. Yeah, but it's not like our country's particularly good or cool, you know? <laughs> like, why are you proud of it? <laughs> Dumb. Yeah. Stop that. Yeah, it's a weird, like, um, holding on to some kind of idea of what patriotism is because patriotism doesn't necessarily exist in Canada as it does in a lot of other countries. Yeah, that's yeah. what, like, if you're a patriotic Canadian, you're, like, a true, like, glowing-eyed psycho. <laughs> like, what the hell is wrong with you? Or, you're, or, you're, or like, or rather, you're just kind of like in the dark to a lot of different things, exactly. which I, I feel like is yeah. probably mostly the and, case. And like unless this, it's just a lot of sociopaths. I just can't imagine around. being proud. Okay. You know, like me as a nine-year-old, where we're like, we have immigration. Like I'm from Toronto, <laughs> and there's people who are not white that live here. That's cool. And like, that's yeah, it. I like that's, that that's voice. That's what you sound like. You like, know what? You know what, dude? Like if you. If anyone out there who isn't proud of Canada, just like, uh, you know, think about selling your land to the reserves. <laughs> That'd be, <laughs> we, we really like it here. And uh, we would like to have uh, Canada if y'all don't want it. And if you are proud of Canada, I might suggest developing a personality finding a hobby maybe like watching sports i don't just anything i'd rather you be really into the like the new new england patriots no. than like canada that's, a that's how fucking bad no, it that, is that's I how people join the alt right i, say, I just <laughs> watched gateway. i just watched the aaron hernandez uh <laughs> documentary <laughs> on netflix maybe maybe not patriots but, okay uh, all right no he was the only good patriot <laughs> 
<laughs> if you like the Bills, though, I fuck with you. That's yeah, cool. The Bills are cool. Uh, nobody on the Bills kisses their son on the mouth like Tom Brady did. To <laughs> yeah, his no child. one on the Bills has ever committed a crime such yeah. as murder or anything like that. <laughs> no, 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 he got away with it. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Free him. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, OJ Innocent. <laughs> Stop. I think. I think what it comes down to is it's one of those things where it seems incredibly complex, but it's like, it's just because something's complex doesn't mean it doesn't have like an answer or like a clear side to it. Like just because he did one great thing doesn't mean that everything else goes under the water. And just because he did all these terrible things doesn't mean the great thing goes under the water. We should just stop fucking making statues of him and and maybe stop doing a parade every single year downtown Kingston. Yeah. Did Um, you know that there's a Sir John A. McDonald Day? I learned this. It's January 11th. Uh, They tried to make it a holiday, but then everyone's like, no, fuck that. No one cares. (laughs) So it's not a holiday. Uh, Which, like, thank God. If they put it in the summer, it would have been easy. Yeah. Sir John a day. Sir John a day. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's my input for the episode. Anyways, but uh, final thoughts here because we're, we're okay. About, yeah, we're let's, about to hit let's, our burst limit. Okay, let's do a round of final thoughts. I want to yeah. hear. I want to hear from each of us how, how we feel about all the information we just digested, real quick. Like, if you're gonna sum it up, the great quote unquote thing he did was create a country that, by necessity, needed to kill a bunch of people to exist. So it's like, was it even good? And there shouldn't be so much celebration. And that's my thoughts. I like it. Thank I, you. I think I. I wholeheartedly agree and I think anytime we kind of like pedestal anybody up you know we're seeing it with celebrities today I don't know why we're not doing it with politicians from the past where as soon as we start idolizing or holding them as if they're higher beings Mm. um, we run into a lot of problems because then we're kind of overlooking any complex or horrible in this case uh sides to them right like we're kind of overlooking it just because we want something to look up to and i think uh, i think that's a very immature way to look at history i think if you want to you know heroize or what's the word honor somebody if you want to honor somebody and you want someone to personify like the greatness that you see in the country choose someone less fucking boring than this guy because like again nothing interesting about him like complete vacuous waste of time uh all he did was either evil or like drunken buffoonery yeah that's kind of interesting though he did live a sitcom experience sometimes though yeah his 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 luncheon oh i I sure hope no one messes up this beautiful luncheon for the queen (laughs) yeah it's like folks we can't be honoring homer simpson (laughs) as like the father of our country that sucks yeah well like late season Homer Simpson. Yeah, like late Where Homer. it's cruel and there's there's nothing. Cruel there, but meaningless. There's no auspice of like meaning yeah. well underneath it. It's just like, no, this is season 15 when, you know, he he like turns Bart into, you know, I was going to say something is piss pig, but that, he never did quite <laughs> that. But where he treats his family like absolute garbage and then gets no consequences yeah. for it. Yeah, so he's like Peter Griffin. Freaking yeah. sweet. No, but Peter Griffin's Pretty funny though. I love that guy sweet. too. Yeah, uh, Peter Griffin is epic though. If the, <laughs> the deep fried memes I've seen tell me anything. Uh, Yeah, ultimately he's an incredibly complex figure in Canadian history. I think in the desire to yes, find some kind of national identity to cling to people have just willfully memory hold or completely covered over the atrocities he committed to try and create this grand unifying spirit because this whole thing is that he's he's the the unifier, He's, he's the father of confederation, he brought us all together but he really didn't. He ran 
a railroad across unseated land, killed thousands of people, got so drunk he'd like fucking piss his pants at the queen's house, and then died of a stroke. <laughs> That's his legacy. All the shit that happened, like, it could have been anyone. It genuinely could have been anyone who did what he did. He just happened to do it with so much disdain and hatred for anyone that wasn't a fucking British Protestant freak like him. So, uh, yeah, it sucks. I hate his statue. OJ Simpson's a better person than John A. McDonald. That's true. I hate his statue and I love brown people. Yeah, hell yeah. 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 That's right. All uh, right, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Late Late Capitalism Show. Uh, I hope you all are doing well and I hope your brains are just as smooth as ours after this episode. <laughs> um, we love you. Big kisses. My brain is as smooth as a riverside pebble. And and, and I hope we hear from you soon. Uh, reach out. If you have a topic yeah. that you want us to, to talk about or to dig into or things that you think would be interesting for us, please, uh, we'll probably have a link. I'll set up a quick email address nice. that you can get a hold of me for them. And uh, we'll take a look. And if your suggestion sucks, that's okay. We will uh, call you out on the pod. Email us at <laughs> pussyfreak69. Not, no, that won't be the email. Huh? But no, I will. That one got deactivated again. Oh, no, that's my email. <laughs> I, I will set up an email and uh, if you have any suggestions for the show or if you just want to pop in and say hello shoot an email I think it would be really really nice to hear from some folks anyways have a great night y'all Woo.